Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. They went to hell. Blue Devil fans, welcome to episode 387 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We're here to talk all about Duke's absolute beatdown. Disrespectful. That's what I say it was. That's what the Blue Devils did to the North Carolina Tar Heels last night. It is Sunday morning, bright and early. We are up so that we can tell you about what we saw during this very, very enjoyable basketball game. I am Jason Evans. I'm your host this week. I am joined, as I almost always am, by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, where are you at this morning? What's going on in your world? I am uh, calling you guys from Vermont this morning, where I was skiing this weekend and watching the game yesterday. So uh, good times up here. It is cold, but uh, we're very happy that uh, Duke was able to just beat the pants off of North Carolina. That, that is accurate. I think there is no, you know, sort of beat the pants off. There's no sort of wording you can come up with to describe this that would be incorrect other than it was not close. It was not a com- competitive game. Donald Wine, how are you doing today, Donald? Well, hey, Oh, I'm doing. I'm, wait, I want to know, how'd you watch the game? What were your circumstances last night? Uh, so I, as you guys know, I just got back from Minnesota. So out of abundance of caution, because I was traveling, um, I just watched it from home. Uh, and man, was that enjoyable. I, I think my, my belly hurts this morning from all the times I was just laughing at how the game was transpiring and the sort of runs that we were taking. But let's talk about it because I'm, I'm just a happy, happy man today. Yeah, let's let's start with our headlines. And we got a couple of really good ones from from the audience uh, that I wanted to, to shout out before we do our own specific headlines on this game. Uh, Brian O'Malley had this one. He said tribute accepted Carolina tries not to respect the goat so duke makes them um and and we're gonna come back to this notion of whether or not carolina uh-huh. uh yeah whether, whether or not carolina was respectful to coach k in his final appearance in uh, the dean dome and then mac campbell i really like this one mac campbell said blue blood gets spilled as tar heels crumble i thought that was a very very nice headline sam i will go to you uh what is your headline from this contest i just had so long farewell uh, to to Chapel Hill uh, that I, I didn't want to I didn't bother making this one too punny. Um, I was trying to figure out how to have Coach K walk off with just a little bit of class in his last time in Chapel Hill. And uh, it feels like he did that. Yeah, most assuredly, uh, if only the class had been exhibited uh, the other direction. We'll get into that in a moment. Donald, give me your headline. I mean, apparently Brian and I traded notes because mine is Griffin helps Coach K ensure the Dean Dome knows respect is spelled K-R-Z-Y-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Nice. I like it. Yeah, uh, uh, that theme of respect. My headline is Disrespectful Duke. Blue Devils never let Carolina compete in Laffer. Um, and, and guys, it's clear we're talking a little bit about Coach K, his final time uh, at, at UNC, how he was treated by the fans. Uh, Twitter has been absolutely ablaze with people uh both duke fans and non-duke fans who who were outraged and, and even some carolina I, I read some carolina fans who were very upset the 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 carolina fans the students especially when coach k walked on the floor um were were using bad language that we're not going to use here on the podcast uh but uh they were chanting f you at, at coach k and and a lot of people said you know that's that's just not a way to send out the the man who who has been so important in this rivalry and and clearly, you know, I don't know whether number one, number two, whatever you want to put him, one of the greatest coaches 
in the history of this game. And guys, before we get into our own stuff about the game, I want to play a little bit of audio from Jason Williams, Jay Will, uh, who prior to the game recorded a message on Twitter uh, where he, he had heard that UNC planned no tribute not to honor or recognize Coach K's final appearance in Chapel Hill at all. And Jay Will had some strong feelings about that. Let's have a listen. So, North Carolina, tonight's the night, huh? Tonight's the night. Now, I used to rock North Carolina gear. I used to lower the rim. I used to imitate Vince Carter. I lowered it to six feet. It didn't work. I couldn't do the dunks, but it was fine because I had love. But then I fell in love. And you know what? If the rumors are true, UNC, if the rumors are true, everywhere Coach K has gone on the road this year, his last hurrah, that school has publicly acknowledged Coach K before the game in front of the crowd. You know what? To say thank you for what you've given the game of basketball. But the rumors I'm here in North Carolina, Chapel Thrill, is that you guys are going to do a picture in the back privately. You guys are going to publicly acknowledge the greatest coach in the history of college basketball, even if you want to debate me between him and John Wooden, fine, 1A, 1B, in that conversation. You don't want to publicly acknowledge the coach that has given us the best rivalry in the history of sports? That's fine. Thank you. You know why? Because you're giving my team the motivation and anger they need to play with tonight. So you know what? Michael Jordan, I wrote all the names down. Antoine Jameson, James Worthy, Tyler Hansborough, Phil Ford, Sam Perkins, Kenny Smith, Rasheed Wallace, Vince Carter, Jerry Stackhouse, Sean May, Harrison Barnes, Ty Lawson, Joe Forte, Wayne Ellington, Danny Green. Thank you. Because we're going to kick y'all ass tonight. Mark that down. I put money on the game. I'll see y'all at six. Donald, what, what? man, J. Will. Holding nothing back. And and I think he was right, by the way. He said, y'all inspired us. Y'all, you know, by doing nothing, you're forcing us to take action in response. And boy, Duke really did. Absolutely. And you know what? Before we get into this part, because this, this is the funny part, I, I want to talk seriously because I think there was one cool moment that came before the game. And that was the picture that was taken with uh, Roy Williams, Hubert Davis, and then Coach K and John Shire. I thought that was pretty cool. That's a nice gesture, but I, I don't wait, consider wait, that, that Donald, a gesture. That, that picture was taken behind the scenes, back in the tunnel. It was not taken. Right. It, there was nothing done in public. Correct, but I don't consider that a gesture by UNC. I consider that more of a gesture done by Roy, who is, you know, him and K are very, very good friends. So I don't consider that a UNC forward gesture or public gesture or prime gesture, whatever. I consider that you know, two old friends getting together for a picture and kind of making it a successional thing. And I thought that was pretty cool. Having said that, Jay Will is absolutely right. These players took all of that personally and you could hear it. You could feel it. Some of the videos, like the little small videos that you've seen coming out after the game from the players' locker room, from the players when they were getting in the handshake line, these oh, the players, players absolutely waving. took it personally. The players in the handshake line, before they went to the handshake line, there's video of the Duke team waving to the waving goodbye to the carolina crowd and Ooh. doing the cryberry crybaby faces it, it, they took this personally they i mean again we've talked this whole season about coach k has not wanted this to be his last ride right he's always talked about this he does not want that to be the focal point of course it's kind of still been the focal point but this team absolutely wanted them to come back to duke from chapel hill one last time with coach k in the driver's seat carrying a w and they did that. And I think 
I mean, you think about it like this, guys. 10 seconds into this game, UNC was tied. And that was the last time UNC was tied with Duke. 10 seconds into the game, we had a lead for the last 39 minutes and 49 seconds of this basketball game. And I'm telling you, every single time they made a shot, every single Duke person on that bench was into it the entire game. This was a, this was a game that they took personally, and they took it out on the Tar Heels. Yeah, you could tell that the Duke players were, as you were saying, Donald, taking, taking it personally last night and playing for Coach K, playing for each other. Uh, I know we're going to talk about the good in a second, but Wendell Moore uh, loves playing in the Dean Dome, so that is, that's good times. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was it, like just about as perfect as it can be for Duke going on the road yesterday to Chapel Hill. Yeah, uh, and and Sam, you teed it up. Let's let's get to the good. Uh, and I mean, look, an easy victory. The, the biggest good we have is that Duke was never less than ninety percent to win this game the entire second half. You know, uh, Ken Pomeroy keeps track of your percent chance of winning at any given moment in a game based on uh, based on what the score is, the time left, and and statistically what your teams are like. And Duke never dipped below the ninety percent mark. And in fact, Duke was at like ninety eight, ninety nine percent for virtually the entire second half. I I will. I will give Carolina credit for going on that little run at the end of the first half and making it 11 points. And you thought it might be competitive, but then uh, AJ Griffin basically took care of that in the first few minutes. <laughs> and when coach K put in the scrubs with three minutes to go, Duke led by 28. And I was, I was like, it's only 28, man. It feels like it's more than 28. So uh, guys, I'll, I'll, I'll let you all take it. Uh, Sam, give me your good. What's your first good. And, and can I force you to start with AJ or were you going to do it anyway? <laughs> I was, I was going to say that the two players that I really wanted to highlight were Wendell Moore and AJ Griffin. So fine. I will, I will take AJ Griffin. He has become an incredible offensive threat for Duke and uh, relative, I would say considering some of the shot selection, he actually might be Duke's best offensive threat uh, now over Paulo Bancaro. I, I'm, I reserve the right to, to change my mind on that. I am curious to see, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, I think, in the bad, but I'm curious to see how the game plan on offense changes now that AJ is a legit number one option for Duke. Be that uh, scoring from the perimeter, where he is he's the best three-point shooter on the team now, or driving, or, you know, having, like, initiating from the, from the mid-range or even from in the post. Um, he's doing it. He's doing it at every level and he's very hard to stop physically. I think Carolina threw a couple different guys at him. Leaky black tried to guard him a little bit. Um, and, and nothing was quite working to stop AJ Griffin's offensive game. And on defense, uh, has also become, a, a, another one of the menaces for Duke. We knew that Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach were, were tough for Duke on the perimeter. AJ Griffin is just another body that, that you have to deal with. That is, he's got his hands in every passing lane and uh, has become a, a star for Duke over the last month. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, AJ Griffin as a creator on offense. Uh, he was eight of 11 on two point shots in this game. We, we already knew that AJ Griffin was one of the best three-point shooters, you know, in Duke history. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say he's up there with uh, JJ Redick or something like that, because it's a very different kind of three-point shot creation, but just in terms of being uh, a reliable, pure shooter outside, AJ Griffin is, 
is electric. He's dynamic. Uh, but his ability now to, to get to the rim, to get to the baseline, he loves that baseline jumper. He took a ton of baseline shots and, and hit virtually all of them in, in this previous game. And, and I'm just so impressed with his strength, his physical ability to absorb contact and not be knocked off his spot. Um, when he's when he's driving with the ball, his ability to to use that strength to shrug off defenders, get his shoulders square, and take a good shot is really really impressive. I, you know, I, I'm not sure, Sam. I want to go where you are, which is, oh, he's a better offensive player than Paulo Bancaro. He was in this game. There's no. Question he wasn't this. We, here's here's let me let me qualify that a little bit. And and maybe it's that I, I don't know that he's actually a you know all around better offensive threat than Paulo Bancaro. But one of the things I was worried about prior to his emergence was, look, I know that he's got all the all the raw skills. He has the a lot of highlights from high school that say that, you know, he should be a serviceable NBA player. What I'm seeing now from him is that he is an option like he is. He's someone you're going to on offense. And Paulo was the only guy that was doing that for Duke recently. Um, I think that this Duke team is fundamentally changing around A.J. Griffin. I agree. I agree. I think when it comes to AJ, like, like you said, we started to find him more. And if you think about it, the first person to find him really early was Paulo Bancaro. Paulo made that first jumper with 11 seconds in the second play. He comes in, he goes around, he drives into the lane and he kicks out. He looks for AJ Griffin because he knows as soon as AJ launched that shot, he, he has the three sign going because he knows it's going in. AJ Griffin, mind you guys, is the only player from a power five conference and only one of 11 players in the entire country that has more than 53 point attempts on a season and is shooting more than 50%. Like the only power five player to do that. UNC knew this and they still couldn't stop him. He went three for six. He shot his percentage. This guy is literally, and it's not like he's having open attempts. He's doing contested threes. He has threes that are open. He's driving the lane. He's creating, he's scoring. And every single time he scores, it feels like it is a momentum shift for our team. These guys really gravitate towards him whether it's because of his personality or just because of the way that he's scoring. But every single time he scores, it feels like a five-point swing for Duke. Well, and the thing I loved about it was uh, it wasn't just him scoring off of passes from his teammates. I mean, those three-pointers he's mostly getting are, are, are assisted. But, but like I said, all those shots he took uh, where he was penetrating to the baseline and into the lane, that was A.J. creating for himself, and, and that's new. And... The, for him to run off those 10 points at the start of the second half, I mean, he essentially called ball game. He was like, okay, I'm, I'm taking over. I'm going to score 10 points in a row. And, and, and forget it. The game, the game was over at that point, three minutes into the second half. Man, that's a lot of fun. Uh, uh, so Sam mentioned the other guy who I think, you know, all three of us would clearly identify as having a really great game was Wendell Moore. He had another of those 10, five and five games with 13 points, eight rebounds, five assists, zero turnovers. Uh, Wendell struggled on offense lately uh, this was his best game in several weeks but you know with that offense even when he's been struggling he's been great on defense and he was really great on defense in this game again he was on Caleb Love much of the time and Caleb Love has been UNC's best player especially on offense um and uh you know Caleb Love only scores eight points he commits four turnovers he took so many bad shots wow it was just like Duke would say, okay, you can get this really terrible shot, but we won't give you something good. And Caleb Love would be like, all right, I'll take the terrible shot. And it was a really bad choice. And the shots kept getting worse. 
yeah was the was the crazy thing it just kept moving further back yeah exactly like (laughs) carolina thought they were going to solve their offensive problems (laughs) by making it harder on themselves rather than turning up the pressure like the the thing that was so shocking to me about and 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 i think caleb love is a is a great example of this jason what was so shocking to me is that the duke fans came into this game or sorry the duke players came into this game and the carolina player carolina fans came into this game knowing exactly the level of intensity that was needed and Carolina's players were not on the same level at all. Well, and that, that, that's that been the story for them all year. I mean, look, this, we're here to celebrate Duke's victory, but uh, Carolina has repeatedly in big games just come out flat and gotten blown out from the start. It has not, not been pretty for them. And, and, and part of that is them. Part of that is Duke's defense. And again, led by Wendell Moore. One of the quotes from Leaky Black after the game was that, he said, Duke punched us in the mouth. We thought it was going to be easy, and it turned out not to be. And I'm like, where in this, where in this millennium and this metaverse did you think that Duke UNC was ever going to be easy for yeah, either what team? what the heck? That is the mentality they approached that with. That is a problem. All right, guys. So uh, I'm sure we've got more good stuff to talk about. Uh, I, I, I will get some, you know, some more of that going. I, I want to talk about statistically. There's a really interesting thing I noticed about this game, which is that, like, Carolina hit 40% of their threes. They only committed eight turnovers. They, they had the same number of field goal attempts. You know, I talk about field goal attempts all the time. Both teams had 59 field goal attempts. So, statistically, I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, Duke, Duke just beat the pants off of them. But, but the stats don't bear it out except in two areas. And those two places are rebounding and field goal percentage. Uh, and, and that, you know, it comes back to shot selection. We, we talked already a little bit about shot selection. Carolina was taking field goal attempts, but they were bad field goal attempts and Duke kept on taking good field goal attempts. I mean, the, the Duke's execution and offense compared to UNC was light years different, but the rebounding was also huge. Donald, give me a little bit of good on, on what Duke's big men did this game. Look, the rebounding was great. And in my, my lost files from the last episode that Brendan Marks so eloquently put much better than I would ever do, uh, I mentioned that rebounding was going to be the key to this game because traditionally UNC is a great rebounding team and we out-rebounded them 40 to 24. But guys, I want to point out that Jason, I think you, you kind of sugarcoated a little bit. I want to actually tell you how fundamental a beatdown this was. We out-rebounded UNC. Like you mentioned, we took the same amount of field goal attempts, but we made 10 more field goals than they did. We made the same amount of three-pointers, but we only needed three fewer to do it. We made the same amount of free throws, but we needed two fewer to do that. We won points in the paint. We won second-chance points. We won the bench. We won points off of turnovers, and the fast-break points were even. Duke literally beat UNC in every statistical category in this basketball game except turnovers and blocks, and that was UNC being 12-8 to on turnovers and 3-2 to on blocks. I will tell you, there is very few games in college basketball where you will see one team fundamentally break down the other team in every single statistical category the way Duke did last night. This was a team victory. We had a lot of things that happened with individual players, but this team, like I said, took a lot of things personally, and they took it out in the Tar Heels in every single facet of the game. That's why it was over from the minute the tip went Duke's way. Donald, you highlighted that uh that duke obviously led in the rebounding margin but interesting that duke didn't have that many block shots i talked about in i don't know if it was the most recent episode but recently about how 
there is a uh, there's a risk that Mark Williams takes when he goes for so many blocks on defense. And the risk is that you're putting you're you're taking Duke's best rebounder notionally. I, th- I think Mark Williams is Duke's best rebounder if everybody's you know yeah, hunting agreed. rebounds. Um, you're taking Duke's best rebounder and moving him a few more feet away from the basket and keeping his back to the basket because he's going for those blocks usually. Mark Williams only has two blocks in this game, but Duke manages as a team to out-rebound UNC considerably and and limits uh, UNC on, on the offensive glass. I think that is a direct um, – th- there's a direct line from Mark Williams not over-committing on blocks to Duke being able to get more rebounds. It, it, either he's turning around and, and getting that rebound or everybody else is just in a much better position to end the possession at one shot for Carolina. And I thought that was huge for Duke. Part of that is that UNC's offensive threat is so much around around the three-pointer, right? Like the, the one thing UNC was able to do well yesterday on offense, and, and there here, I'll just tee up the one bad thing I feel like, is that Brady Manick continued to set screens and get open for the three, um, which took a big man away from away from the basket. And Armando Baycott was not uh, was not himself last night after two early fouls, but still Duke was able to to really dominate on the class. And, and as you guys said, that was the that was the statistical difference in this game. Well, uh, Baycott gets one offensive rebound in this game. Carolina only had six total offensive rebounds. And and Sam, to your question about you know when Mark Williams was was going for the block shot. It was Wendell Moore and Paula Bancaro who were cleaning up the, the, the defensive rebounding. Those guys combined for 16 defensive rebounds between the two of them. I mean, like, <laughs> they, they came close to out-rebounding Carolina all by themselves. In fact, Moore, Bancaro, and Williams combined, those three guys had as many rebounds as UNC did in this game. Uh, that's, that's how total Duke's domination of the boards were. were. Before we wrap up the good, Donald, I know this week Duke got road wins at Notre Dame and at UNC. Those are the two toughest games. Those before we played them, those were the two toughest games left on Duke's schedule. And by the way, we won both of them going away. They were laughers. I mean, this week was the most relaxing week as a Duke fan that you can possibly have, right? Absolutely. And if you couple that with the game, you know, last weekend or weekend ago, against Louisville on the road where that was more of a grind, but we ended up, you know, getting a victory there. Remember back in November and December when people were like, Oh, Duke is just ducking road road games because they're not going to win on the road. And they're, and they're not as good as they thought. Well, nobody wants to play us at home or on the road. And this team has really come together over the last few, like week and a half. I think everyone coming back healthy is one thing Uh, I mentioned after the win against Notre Dame, that having a healthy group, against UNC was going to be a major factor. And literally everyone who who played in that game contributed in some way to this victory. And I think now we have a narrative that nobody wants to play Duke. This is the scariest team in college basketball right now because we're going on the road and we're not just going on the road and inking out close victories. We are stomping folks and sending people to the exits with like 10 minutes left in the game. If we could keep doing that, I know we have a quick turnaround and we come back home to play in the friendly, friendly confines of Cameron. But being on the road, this team has found a way to come together and gel and really just, again, take everything that is in the elements around them personally and say, hey, look, Coach K is not leaving this gym without a W. They did it last night, and they've been doing it all week. 
so guys, we got to get to the bad. And, and here's what I have for the bad, first of all. Could y'all hear that? Oh, was it nothing? It's crickets. <laughs> <laughs> I, Jason, can can I can I talk about Brady Manic taking threes? I mean, that is a that is a bad, right? And we knew yeah, that was going sure, to happen. Sure, sure. So, so, so I'm actually in in, in all seriousness, I'm I'm going to talk about Paulo Mancaro's shot selection in a second. But for the most part, my so, bad is mm-hmm. crickets. But go ahead, talk about Brady Manic. Go ahead. On yeah, so so I and and I'll say it in this way, which is. Brady Manick lit Duke up from three and in a game where Duke wins by 20 and really it's like a 25 point victory before you, you get to scrub time. Um, you let, sometimes you just have to let the other team get one sort of have one thing working on offense for them. Um, for, for UNC, it was Duke isn't going to overcommit on that. And, you know, maybe Manic makes, makes six of 11 threes or, or, or whatever it is, but in another version of this game, he makes three of them. And, and Duke's victory is like, even is even bigger. So I, I'm looking at that as something's got to be working for Carolina. They, they do have too much talent for, um, for this to just be exactly who they are. So uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. And Jason, I, I think that the other thing that you said, you're going to bring up Paulo Bancaro shot selection is something that is um, not just, I feel like concerning from this game, but probably a trend, right? Yeah. And he's, uh, I've, I've talked about it for a while now. He, he's just taking too many bad shots. Um, it felt to me like he was really pressing in this game at times. You know, he, he scored, Donald mentioned, you know, he scored in the first couple minutes of the game, but then he went a long time without scoring. And, and it wasn't that he was in foul trouble and it wasn't that he wasn't taking shots. He was taking bad shots. Um, he ends up going just three for 10 on two point field goals. And, uh, just again and again, I, I watched this game with, with three buddies of mine, Duke friends, you know, we all gathered at one guy's house. We ordered some pizza. We had some beers and drinks and chips and things. It was a great time. But again and again, <clears throat> I heard me and my friends saying, that's a bad shot. The moment he would take a shot. Now there, there was one of them that I said it and he made it. I was like, that's a bad shot. And then he made it. And I'm like, it's still a bad shot. Well, that's when you know you're good, right? That's when you know a guy's really good is we're like, oh, it's a terrible shot. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, but still there were probably five other times where I said, that's a bad shot. And he missed it. Um, I think there's an element of yeah. like prior to the last couple of weeks with AJ Griffin coming on this, this sort of comes back to what we were talking about with Griffin is Paulo Bancaro is, is Duke's best offensive player. Now. I think that, as I was saying, I think it's an interesting discussion now, but because he's so much more talented and is able to get shots from so many more places on the floor, Duke kind of has to live with Paulo taking some bad shots because otherwise the options are not as good. Uh, and, and so this is point. sort of the, yeah. this is the, this is the compromise that, that Duke has to make. Hopefully in these next few weeks, the offense clicks a little better with Griffin taking more shots and, and Paulo doesn't feel like he has to take so many of these. Cause the other thing is, it's not like, it's not like he's doing this outside of the, of the, like, like the coaches are telling him to do this, or at least they're okay with it because it's not like they're benching him, right? It's not like, it's not like Paulo gets in any, in any trouble for this. And we know that the coaching staff is behind him in his development. So, so it's not that he's doing something out of the ordinary. It's that the team is limited offensively and hopefully that changes. And I think when it comes to him, like last night during the broadcast, you saw many times that leaky black was on him 
and the announcers and everybody in the gym and all of us at home were kind of going, yo, man, like just go to the go to the rack. And that's not a part of his game. And I think UNC recognized that like, hey, he's not going to try and go to the rack immediately. He wants to take turnaround jumpers. He wants to kind of get into it like that 15 to 18 foot range and take shots. But he wasn't going to the rack because there was times that that opportunity presented itself. And I think that's where the shot selection can be deemed bad because you're passing up a better shot for a shot that's less, you know, less efficient. Look, full credit to Leaky Black, by the way, who played great yeah, for defense. Sure. He played great defense on him. By the way, the, the, the flip side of that was because they had Leaky Black on Paulo, they had Brady Manick on AJ Griffin. That didn't work out too well for them, did it? And then um, he and then they switched yeah. to the Mark Williams, and immediately Mark Williams got the tip dunk on uh, the alley oop on the uh, inbounds pass, and they go, "Okay, we can't do that anymore." Yeah. If if Paulo Bencaro can't get around Leaky Black uh, as you know in an, in an isolation situation and, and get to the hole, then he has lots of work to do to be the player that he wants to be. So. He's going to take this game tape. I know this because I, I, I can tell what kind of what kind of player Paulo is from the way the coaches have talked about him and from the way that he talks about his development and his preparation. He's taken this game tape and he's watching it repeatedly to eliminate all the ways that that Leaky Black was able to counter his offensive moves. And I expect that the next time Duke plays a defender like that that Paulo is going to be able to handle him and and make those drives, Donald, because it's not an excuse for Paulo that that he can't that 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 driving is not in his arsenal by the way it's not so much the driving to me it's it's posting up when he's got a guy that's Mm -hmm. that much smaller than him he needs to get into the post use his physicality and he has excellent post moves but the last thing he wants to be doing is putting the ball on the floor a lot uh around leaky black because leaky black's going to poke that ball away and and let's be clear i mean leaky black is an nba level defender um, he's one of the better defenders in all of college basketball. Uh, but he's not necessarily an NBA player. No, no. I, I, right. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it can't happen. It probably won't happen. Almost certainly won't happen. But he is, he's an NBA-level defender. And, uh, and I, I agree with you, Sam. I think it's really good that Paulo had a chance to, to see how much he could be frustrated by someone like this because you're right. Everything we hear about him is that Paulo is an obsessive worker. And I agree. I think he's going to take what he saw in this game and turn it around because Paulo knows that he was arguably Duke's worst player in this game. I mean, like, uh, you know, uh, box plus minus, we don't talk about this advanced stat that much, but box plus minus is sort of, you know, a totaling of, of everything good and everything bad you do in a game um, and how that contributed to the team's box score overall. Paulo had a negative box plus minus in this game. Every other regular player for Duke had a block, box plus minus of plus 10 or better. And Paulo's was negative. Uh, so, uh, you know, as much as I joke about the crickets and the such, and, and they're not being anything bad to say about this game, Paulo, to some extent, is lucky that his teammates picked him up because he was not good enough to beat UNC. The rest of them were. and and But that is going to get better for him. I mean, we've seen this guy play great this season. But to be to be fair, he also had 10 rebounds and contributed in other ways of the game. Yes. On yes. offense, yes, he struggled. But make no mistake, he was contributing on defense. He was getting rebounds. He was passing the ball out and, and helping in a lot of ways. But Jason, I do want to end. I know we, we like to end with some positives sometimes. I want to end with the tweet of the night. Um, the tweet of the night comes from Ben Swain. And uh, if you saw this on Twitter, I, you probably got a bigger laugh as I did. And he goes, nobody's coming to Hubert's house and done him this dirty since Biggie. Now, for those of you out there that doesn't understand what that means, 
there's a song by Notorious B.I.G. called I Got a Story to Tell. I'm not going to understand this reference. Go listen to that song. But the, the story, the, the urban legend is, is that Biggie is having an affair with an NBA player's girlfriend. And the NBA player comes home and he robs them. And the urban legend is that person is Hubert Davis. So go listen to that song and then you could go understand the reference to that tweet. But Ben Swain, shout out to you, the tweet of the night. All right, guys. So uh, I had one last thing I wanted to mention. And it's neither good nor bad. It's just facts. These are facts. These are statistics that are worth noting. Uh, Duke is back in the top 10 in Ken Pomeroy's ratings. But uh, the other set of ratings that people talk about uh, are Bart Torvik. And Bart Torvik's ratings, you're able to sort them by date. If you sort Bart Torvik's ratings over Duke's last five games since we lost to Florida State, he says that Duke is the number two team in the, in the country. Oh, you know, in the, in the two, two and a half, three weeks since that Florida State game, the Duke has played like the number two team in the country. Um, we are, by the way, number six in Torvex ratings. And Duke is most assuredly back in the conversation for number one seed. Bart Torvex ratings and Ken Pomeroy's ratings are part of the NCAA selection committee's process. And, and they're going to be looking at a Duke team that is, you know, really, really playing well right now. Um, Torvik projects, projects that Duke's going to go 17 and three in the ACC. Ken Pomeroy projects that Duke's going to go 16 and four. Neither of them project any other ACC team being within two games of Duke. And our game next week at Clemson is the only game left on Duke's schedule where we aren't 75% or better to win that contest. We're about 70% to win that game. But, uh, the, the advanced metrics are all saying that Duke is not just the class of the ACC, but that we're going to run away with the conference. And also, when you look at the net, which is the rankings that the NCAA uses in part to determine a lot of the seedings for the NCAA tournament, we are now in the top 10 again in that metric as well. So we're moving up in a lot of categories, and we're, it seems like, as of right now, we are playing our best basketball so far this season. Yeah, and uh, against that backdrop, the UVA Cavaliers are coming to Cameron on Monday night a preview of what to expect from Tony Bennett's boys after the break. So Duke gets back at it Monday evening against Virginia, a big Monday in the ACC. Duke will be playing the Virginia Cavaliers and, uh, you know, anytime you play UVA, you know, it's going to be a physical game. You know, they're going to really give it to you on defense uh, in a in a big, big kind of way. Donald, uh, your traditional role when we do these previews is to talk about sort of how a team has performed, you know, their record, their games. Uh, so give me what UVA has done thus far. This season has not been a very good season. It hasn't been a typical UVA season, has it? Yeah, especially when you look at what UVA has done over the last decade. This is not a typical uh, UVA team or season that they're going through 14 and nine overall eight and five in the ACC. That's good for sixth in the standing so far. They do have a couple of big key wins Providence by 18 Syracuse by five Clemson by 10. And just yesterday they beat Miami by 13. So Miami was one of those teams that was, you know, elevated very, very high in the conference early on in the season. Now they're starting to hit a little bit of a snag. 
uh, but UVA did beat them by 13. They do have a couple of bad losses. They lost their first game of the season to Navy by eight. The big loss that they've had, the really bad loss, is to James Madison. They lost to James Madison by three. James Madison ranked 217th in Ken Palm. And they lost to NC State by 14. NC State, a decent team, but not a team that no, UVA. No, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's be clear. NC State is not a decent team this year. <laughs> well, I, I said that. I mean, but they're not a team that they should be losing by 14. I don't care how right. good or bad they are. Like UVA is a better team than them. So the thing is this, they don't, they also don't have a lot of good wins. I mentioned the key wins. Those are the only key wins they really have. Their non-conference wins are over teams like Coppin State and Radford and Fairleigh Dickinson. So, but here's the thing. Once again, Jason, you kind of alluded to it. Watching UNC run their offense is like watching paint dry. We know this. This has not changed. They are still dead last in tempo in the country. But the other thing is that they like to slow the other team down when they're on offense. And I think that is the key here is that Duke is not going to have as many possessions as we've seen in previous games because UVA is going to try and say, hey, they can't beat us if they can't actually put the ball, shoot the ball. So they're going to take a lot of those shots very, very late in the shot clock. And I think that is the key. If Duke can kind of speed up this tempo and if they can make their shots and be efficient with the shots they do take, UVA has had a long day with teams when that happens. So I think that's the key here. Yeah, uh, and and when you look at the advanced metrics, the very first thing that jumps out at you always with Virginia is the pace. Like you said, slowest team in the land. They're the third slowest team on offense, but the slowest on defense. And what that means is, like you said, they force you deep in the shot clock. They want you to get panicked because the shot clock is running down and take a bad shot. There, there's going to be something like eight or ten fewer possessions in this game than in a regular Duke game, maybe even more than that. Um, and, and that's just the way UVA's style of play is. You can't get suckered in too much by it. And, uh, you know, Duke, Duke, even though this team is fairly young, the Duke coaches know how to prepare them for, for playing Virginia. Uh, let me give you the, the, the hard numbers on UVA. They are number 83 in Ken Pomeroy, 84th on offense, 91st on defense. So they're, they're sort of balanced in being mediocre or, you know, just okay in both arenas. We're, we're just not used to seeing a Virginia team that is barely top 100 on defense. Uh, the, you know, traditionally, UVA is top 10, top five, if not the number one defense in all of college basketball. So why is their defense so bad this year? Well, they're not doing a very good job of forcing turnovers. Um, they're a bit below average at defending the three. You know, opponents are hitting about 35% from three. They're a good shot blocking team, you know, top 20 in the country at shot blocking. But it's clear that they don't force teams to take as many bad shots as they have in the past. That's just been UVA's hallmark, hallmark and they just don't do it as well. And a, a lot of that, I think, is because um, they're relying on a couple uh, transfers as two of their major players. And, and it takes time to, to learn the pack line defense the way Tony Bennett likes to play it. And I think these guys just aren't experienced at playing it. On offense, um, they do a lot of things okay, but they don't do anything great. They're not a bad shooting team, but they're not a good shooting team. Hit about a third of their three-pointers. Um, they don't shoot many threes at all. They're, they're one of the bottom 50 teams in the country in terms of the percentage of their shots that come from the three-point line. Um, they do a nice job of hanging on to the ball. They're like top 30 at, at non-steal turnovers, which means turnovers where, you know, unforced turnovers where you just throw the ball away. They, they don't have very many of those. But, but this is just, you know, it's, it's just not the UVA team that we've seen in the past. By the way, they're not deep either. Tony Bennett is not using his bench very much at all this year. I'd expect 
really only seven guys to play against Duke. And, and they're just not big. Um, I, I mentioned those transfers very quickly. Uh, one of them, uh, a 6'6 kid from East Carolina, Jaden Gardner. Um, he, he's their power forward. He's going to be playing Paulo at 6'6. Now he's strong, but he's not tall. And then um, 6'4 Indiana transfer, Armand Franklin, will probably be guarding AJ, AJ Griffin, 6'4, 200 pounds. Um, he's a transfer from Indiana. And, and uh, you know, it, it just doesn't look like UVA matches up very well with Duke. Right? Sam, talk to me about the players here. The, Jason, you sorry. <clears throat> Jason, you mentioned the short rotation for UVA and also that a couple of the key players are transfers and may not be as familiar with Tony Bennett's, you know, defensive style. I think other than Kihei Clark, lack of experience is a is a major issue for UVA this year. In addition to those guys, they're playing a couple of sophomores in, in key rotation roles. And as you said, they're not going very deep into their bench. So you have a lot of guys who are either sophomores or transfers. Uh, the sophomores, you know, may not have played very much last year. Kihei Clark is a, is a senior, feels like he's been on this team forever, but I think that's just because he was on that national championship team. So we just heard about his name a lot. Uh, so Kihei Clark is, it has been around for a long time, but Kihei Clark is 5'10 and, and does not, you know, kind of command the same sort oh, of wait, No, he's not. No, he's not. I, th- I think he's 5'9 or 5'8. <laughs> sure. Well, small, he's listed yeah. at 5'10. Um, he's, he's going to be the smallest guy in this game. Duke does not have any really small players. Like Jeremy Roach is the only small guy in Duke's rotation, and he's probably got four inches and, and a few inches of wingspan on Kihei Clark. So the challenge for UVA is, like you said, Jason, they're smaller. They're less experienced, especially because Tony Bennett relies so much on experience to play his defensive style correctly. I think that the, the upside to the way that, that Bennett coaches is that he gets a lot of buy-in and, and the players really like the, the, the players that he gets really want to be there. So there's, I think there's less threat and I haven't looked at the, at the um, exact transfer rates for UVA, but there is an element of when you come here, you sort of know what you're signing up for because it's just a little bit different than it is in, in most uh, prominent programs. And, and, you know, let's be honest here, UVA among the ACC is one of the very best programs in recent years. They're the most recent ACC team to win a national championship. They've won, I think, more than their share of of ACC conference titles, especially regular season titles in recent years, along with Duke, UNC, and, and FSU. UVA is like the class of the conference. So you know what you're getting into when you sign up to play at UVA. Bennett's just in one of those years where he doesn't have as many guys that have the kind of experience to to play either his offensive or his defensive style because you talked about his defense a lot uva is typically also very good on offense deliberate sure but uh but very efficient and that just doesn't seem to have come together this year you mentioned gardner Jaden gardner is the transfer from ecu he's been the most productive from a from a statistical standpoint on this team he's leading the team in both points and rebounds and gets a pretty decent percentage of his shots in but Jason, coming back to your point, he's smaller than than the guys who are going to be guarding him. He's smaller than the guys that he's going to be guarding unless he's able to like switch on to Jeremy Roach. Uh, all of Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, AJ Griffin have the size to 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 body him up. And so th- there's just not there aren't a ton of of options that UVA has on offense. Only Gardner and Amon Franklin are averaging double digit points, although Kihei Clark is pretty close to that. And because they play a slow pace, you could say that those three guys are, are producing for them. Guys, I got a question for you in light of what you just said, Sam. Uh, I know we basically have 
a starting group of six players, but only five can start. Do you think we see Jeremy Roach in the starting lineup again against UVA? Or do you think in light of Kihei Clark and just, you know, trying to body them from the beginning that we have them go with Trevor Keels? I, I think, I think you're going to still see Jeremy Roach starting. Uh, Duke's playing their best game of ball of the year right now. I, I talked about the fact that past five games, um, Bart Torvik says that Duke has been the number two team in the country. Uh, Houston, by the way, is the team that's number one in his rankings uh, since that, that Florida state loss. And that has coincided with Jeremy Roach moving into the starting lineup. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that Trevor Keels is still suffering the impact of that injury, but you can see there's still a little bit of rust on his game. Um, I, I, I suspect we're going to still see Jeremy Roach starting, especially against a team like UVA that's a little bit smaller at the point guard position where, where you know, you can't really exploit Roach the, the way maybe some other teams might try to. I think that the key against UVA is protecting the basketball, especially when you're when you're bringing it up and initiating the offense because they are, um, they, they, you know, they are so focused on on playing tough defense. I think that Jeremy Roach gives you a, a better chance at at least initiating the offense, you know, from the jump uh, than Trevor Keels does right now. Maybe that changes down the road, and and it'll be interesting because Duke gets uh, Duke gets UVA again basically in two weeks. They play them on Monday night. This week, they get them on a Wednesday two weeks from now. So uh, uh, I think it'll be worth us comparing. I think this game is is back in Cameron. Um, the next one will be will be at UVA. So interesting to see how Duke's uh, Duke's game plan changes from one to the next because you'll be able to see a little bit of that evolution. Is Trevor Keels coming back? Is he, you know, is he back in the starting lineup or is Jeremy Roach still there, et cetera? Yeah, well, the other thing is, I, I mean, Duke has one day off between the Carolina game and the UVA game. I don't think Co Coach K is going to switch things up um, in terms of starting lineup that dramatically with, with one day off. Guys, by the way, before we go, we, we still need to do player of the week. Um, I'm not sure there's that much debate <laughs> about who the player of the week is, but but I'll, I'll see what you gentlemen have to say. Sam, I'll come to you first. Who you got? In a week where Duke plays Carolina and beats Carolina by 20 points, uh, I don't really care that much about what else happens that week. That is the most important thing on Duke's schedule. And even considering the other game, which was a, a, a pretty good uh, win over Notre Dame, A.J. Griffin, to me, really stood out this week, uh, especially against Carolina. His offensive and defensive execution was outstanding. We talked about him at the top as the as the highlight of the good, and he's leaving UNC with, uh, with a, a pretty big badge of honor uh, joining <laughs> joining some some pretty outstanding Duke players who have had great performances in Chapel Hill. So I'm going with AJ Griffin. Yeah, and, and look, let's be clear: against Notre Dame at the start of the week, he had 13 points and nine rebounds. I mean, yeah, no slouch. I, I would say that the one other guy that you would consider here is Paulo Bancaro, and I think that that a little bit comes off the shine on him when you look closely at the UNC game. And like we were saying, the shot selection was not great. I think that's enough to put to put AJ in uh, as my clear you know, player of the week selection. Yeah. He he's, he's my player of the week. I think it's, it's not that close. I, I would say the, you know, if I was looking for a backup guy, I would probably go Mark Williams. Cause I thought Mark Williams was really outstanding against Notre Dame. And he absolutely battled Armando Baycott to a draw. Um, neither one of those guys sort of got the best of the other one uh, against UNC. And, and if you can battle Armando Baycott to a draw, Duke's going to, you're, you're going to beat UNC virtually every time. Cause he is far and away their best player. Donald, who you got for player of the week? So for me, it's obviously Adrian Darnell Griffin Jr. Um, as the player of the week. But I think the backup for me 
uh, and this is a this is an interesting one. Uh, the backup for me is Coach K and the coaching staff because entering the UNC Ooh, game, I, like I think there was maybe three guys on the team that had ever been to the Dean Dome with it being full uh, and having that hoopla and just the the stage that is the Duke UNC game that is in Chapel Hill or where in Cameron. Uh, they really responded to the challenge, so I, I commend Coach K and the coaching staff for getting these guys ready. Leading up with again with a, with a road game that, mind you, was rescheduled from you know a couple of weeks ago because of COVID. Being able to navigate that, usually you know instead of having a week off to prepare for this game, they have two games in a week, and they absolutely had their two best games on the season so far. So uh, shout out to Coach K and the coaching staff for getting these guys prepared to enter battle on the road and having them do it so well. And with that, we're going to wrap it up here on podcast number 387 of the Duke Basketball Report. Uh, we, we will be back at you very, very soon because Duke plays UVA Monday night. We then got a Clemson game on Thursday. I mean, it is, it's coming fast and furious this week. It's a three-game week as we make up for you know the Clemson game that we missed during COVID time. So UVA, Clemson, and then the weekend. Uh, and the DBR podcast will be here to cover all of it for you. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thank you for listening. Keep on writing to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love your headlines. We love your comments. We don't even mind it if you want to say something bad about us. We just probably won't repeat that on the air. <laughs> and remember to like and subscribe. We love those likes. We love those subscriptions. Um, you know, Give us a, those nice reviews. Duke fans, it has been a very, very fun 24 hours or so beating down UNC. We got more business to take care of, though, until the Blue Devils play UVA. I'm Jason. He's Donald. He's Sam. And this is the Duke Band. Play us out and take us home. I love it when Donald shows up on my Zoom and he's dancing. <laughs> that was me all last night. Just really, it was just a lot of laughing. Like every single time we'd go on a run, I'd like just start laughing because I'm like, this is funny. Yeah. Here, all look. that trash they were talking, they, 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 they went out of their way to do stuff. <laughs> I know they took it personally. <laughs> <laughs> they <Let's>, were. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, no. Let's uh, save it. Save, let's save it. We're doing <laughs> all, all those notes. We're doing all, all this on the pod. Yeah. <laughs>